0: Looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: You might say, like someone said to me recently, I came here to hide, but now I can't hide. I know that I need to get involved and I want to make my mark for God, but I'm nervous. And so this message is really designed truly today for two groups of people. The first group this message is going to speak to would be for those of you that are on the outside of Christ but are wanting to know a little bit more about him. Maybe you would call yourself a seeker, you're not sure, but you're on the journey to discover. And then others of you are on the inside only in the sense that you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you know that he is the Lord, and now you want to do a little bit more for him but you're a little nervous because you look at your weaknesses and uniquenesses And say, I don't know if I can really do that. And this message is really designed with you in mind and it's in the middle of a series. The first part of this, we were talking about the characteristics of Christ and his desire to reach those people specifically who are on the other side, the front end of that journey, on the discovery level. And we learned about how that he loved them so much. That he was a wise person, a wise God in reaching out. How he sacrificed himself to reach out to people like you that want to discover. That he'd be patient and long-suffering and take time and work with you and bring people into your life and events into your life and bring you to a point where you would say, he is the Lord, he did die, and I want him as my savior. Well, maybe you are somewhere in that and we learn as a Christian now who are inside of this, to say that life of Christ can be lived out through us to others just like you on that journey of discovery. Then last week, we tried to answer the question again from John 17. All right, I I want to reach others, but where do I go from here? And we learned that really we go into the entire world, but we take it one step at a time. Our neighbors, our friends, our family, the people we go to work with or school with. And so again, we go into the entire world and then we learned why we should do that. Because it's absolutely essential. And this was the hardest bite of the apple to take. And that is this. That if a person does not trust Christ as their Savior, they will spend eternity separated from God in a horrible place. And the worst part about that place isn't going to be the pain, the suffering of the flames. It's going to be separated from the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. And it's essential to give them that message so they can have an intimate relationship with the Lord and then worship Him. And then we learn how to do that. That really, and I so much like the song that Krista selected. Those words were powerful. How do we do it? Not in our own strength because we really are small. And it's okay to say, I'm small. But with God, I'm, I'm everything that God wants me to be. So I can do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all that's found in the John 17 prayer, which now brings us to this level. Those of you that are, again, you know Christ as your Savior. And you're saying, okay. I have the character of Christ. I want to reach out Christ's way to the lost world. I know where I need to go, but where do I begin? I know where to go, but I don't know where to begin. Well, for some of you, you see this, I want to reach this world and my family, and it's so daunting and so scary that we then allow Satan to give to us, and it's normal, it's natural, although we should be supernatural, but it's natural for us to say, I can't do it, it's too big, I'm too scared, I'll fail, they'll shut me down, they'll ask me questions I don't know the answer to, I really want to, but I really can't. And so then what happens, we don't. We just kind of, hopefully the most would be to invite them to an event where we know the gospel will be given clearly, and that's about the end of it, and that's good, but not enough. So in today's message, I want you to see from just a couple of verses that you can begin in the area of praying for others. Now, remember, the operative word isn't praying right now, and it isn't for others. It's where do I begin? Begin means it's not where you end, it's where you start. So the first thing you'll do is to pray. Now, why would I say that? Because, again, in John 17, when it talks a lot about Christ's likeness and his passion for the world, he prayed. And it was interesting, he prayed for two groups of people in two verses that gives us a capsule of when we are to pray for those. The first group he prays for would be for those who already know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So, when we pray, our part will be to pray for those who know Christ. The second is, he's going to pray for those who are yet to believe in Christ. In other words, they have not trusted Christ yet, but in the future, they will trust Christ. Would you like to follow me in the verse? It is in your worship folder in the outline that's provided for you. John seventeen nine and 20. And Here's what you read. It says... Jesus speaking, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So the idea is the Lord is praying for those who know the Lord, but he's also praying for those who will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, why would he be praying such a prayer like that? And it would be interesting for you to know that in just those two verses alone, the phrase pray is mentioned three times. So it must be important. So why is he doing that? Because he realizes, the Lord speaking now, that he's the one who died on the cross, paid for sins. He's the one who's given the word and given the spirit for conviction to the lost and power for the saved. But he says this, the job of communicating the gospel still falls upon you and me and God loves us and he knows our struggle and he also knows that we need to be praying for others and he's our model in doing so and how important that is for each of us. So for those of you that want to begin in reaching your world, letting the world know then I would suggest that you begin in the area of prayer. So let's look at number one. What do we need to do? The first thing we need to do is we need to pray for others to come to faith alone in Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 9, it says, I pray for them, those that would come to faith in Christ. Now let me just pause for a moment and tell you a story. When I was in Bible college, we would go to chapel services. And in chapel, they would parade in front of us some of what I would call some of the nations and maybe the world's greatest speakers and preachers and missionaries. One such man came, he spoke very broken English, he was a diminutive man, kind of hunched over and old, but he was the founder of the Slavic Gospel Association, Peter Dynica. This man, I can hardly remember what he preached on, except a particular phrase that has stuck with me the rest of my ministry. It goes like this, Much prayer, much power no prayer, no power. And I got thinking about that. You know, those people that are going to the Lord in their helplessness and their weakness, and they go to the Lord for His strength, much prayer, much power, no prayer, in all the strength we might have, we're powerless apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for those of us that want to begin to pray, I would say, you go to the Lord, and you say, Lord, help me now. I want to know, how can I better pray so that people would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior? Now, if you'll notice in your outline, I picked out some great men in the Old Testament who prayed specifically for those who needed to find God, needed the Lord. You had Abraham. Here was a man who prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah. Unfortunately, you know the story about Sodom and Gomorrah. Only Lot, his nephew, was he able to get out of that along with a few others. And so what I need to tell you is simply this is that do you have a cadre of people that you are praying for as much as Abraham prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah? Moses, he wanted the Lord to forgive his fellow countrymen, the Israelites, of their sin. And then he said, but Lord, if if they won't come to you, if you won't forgive them, then would you now take away my salvation, in essence? Blot me out of that. He was so wanting the Lord to forgive his countrymen, of their sin, that he was willing to not go to heaven if the Lord didn't do that. Now I'm going to tell you that sounds pretty Pollyanna. I can do that. I can do this here. But that was a real prayer from a real patriarch that really cared for those other people. That's the kind of praying. Here's a real question. Are you at a point in your Christian life, maybe you're not ready yet to give the gospel, but do you have such a passion for their salvation that you're willing to be blotted out of God's book and not given eternal life? at the expense of someone else coming to know Christ and you're willing to pray a prayer like that. Then you have Samuel and he said this, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. So in other words, we could walk away from this message and say that's pretty good and we don't even pray at all. And Samuel says, far be it from me that I would cease to pray for them and therefore I'd be sinning. So really it's not an option. This isn't a suggestion that we pray for the lost. This is something God says, Stan, you need in your World of prayer to remember to pray for those who need to know Christ as their Savior. And then you have Samuel and then Daniel. Daniel prayed that God would forgive their sin as well, the Israelite sins. And then Ezra even prayed for mercy on Israel. You move into the New Testament, the book of Acts. 120 Christians met together for prayer. What happened? Much prayer. God's power came down. What happened then? 3,000 people came to know the Lord and it was the beginning of the church. And then you have the Apostle Paul. I like to look at his life because from a couple of verses it opens up into a window of his attitude that he had towards those who were lost. Would you look at it? The Apostle Paul had a tremendous burden. So the first one is his burden. Look at the verse there. It says this, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I could wish that myself would be accursed from God for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Folks, if you're tracking with me, could I suggest you do something that might take this verse and bring it close to home to you? Do you see the phrase where it says in this verse, he says, my brethren, would you scratch that out and maybe in that place put cursed from Christ for my wife, my husband, my kids, my parents, my brother, my sister, my grandparents. Put some names, put some real faces on this that just like Paul was burdened. I have such a burden for them, Lord. Whatever it would take, that they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then his prayer. Notice his prayer again. He says, "Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that I may be saved." Many years ago, there was a football player. Excuse me, a basketball player that was very, very. Um, how can I say? He was kind of like the runt of the team. He just was able to make the team, and that was about it. But this particular ball player in high school was a Christian guy who was so separated unto the Lord that even when he played, he would be willing to tell his teammates about Christ. And as he would go to each teammate, they mocked him over and over again, all throughout the year. He would try to invite them to a youth meeting where the gospel was given. They wouldn't come. He would invite them to a concert where the gospel would be given. They wouldn't come. He'd invite them to church. He sent them notes. He stuffed little gospel tracts in their notebooks and things. None of them came to Christ. Then at the very end, they're at the last game. It wasn't a big hoop de doo championship game, but it was the end of the year. And so the coach decided to put this guy in. And so he played the first half, did a pretty good job. And now they're at the break where they have a little talk with the team. The coach got finished. As they all went out of the locker room, this player was the last one to go out. And as the other guys ran back out onto the court into the bench, he didn't. He stayed in the locker room. He fell on his knees in front of the bench that was in the boys' locker room. And he cried out to God and he said, Lord... This is my senior year. This is the last game. I have no more shot at my teammates for the gospel. I don't know what's going to happen. They mocked me. They belittled me. I did everything I knew to try to reach them for Christ. So, Lord, whatever it takes, would you please have these guys come to know Christ as their Savior? Because I probably will never see them again when we graduate. So he goes back out on the court, and now they're playing. He was called in in the last quarter of the game. They flipped the ball to him. He took the ball down court, and as he went down court, he stumbled and he fell. When they gathered around him, there he was, prostrate on the floor. They couldn't revive him, and he died. Well, it wasn't unusual to have the ball team then be the pallbearers. And so now they do the funeral a couple of weeks later. And it was a normal funeral and all that kind of stuff. But as they were getting ready, they opened up the microphone and said, Is there anyone here that would like to say something nice? And so one of the coaches came up, and his coaches would often do, and he told a story about how this boy wasn't a great athlete, but he was a team player. He said, I remember this guy inviting us all to these meetings to hear about Christ and how he wanted us to come to faith in Christ, and we never did. He said, but I know something that you don't. The last game, the day that he died, I too was in the locker room, and I had to wait for the last boy to leave. And he didn't didn't leave he got on his knees and I heard him one more time cry out and say oh God whatever it takes that my teammates would come to faith alone in Jesus Christ and have eternal life well the coach said I don't know about the rest of the team or the rest of the coaches or all you classmates but I for one I'm not going to let his death be in vain I'm going to trust Jesus Christ as my savior and I'm going public with it right now well you could imagine a little revival kind of broke out Now, that's dramatic. I will tell you that is a true story. I will tell you this, that I can't promise that if you do that, that that'll happen to you. But my question is, is where is your burden for lost people? Whether you go across the world or across the street, it's a burden that's attached to a heartfelt prayer, whatever it takes, Lord, that they would come to faith in Christ. Now you might say, all right, pastor, I'm ready to pray, but who do I pray for? How can I see the right people to pray? Well, I can throw out some areas. But it's much better for me to take you into the Bible and say, where does God tell us to pray? So if we're praying the way God wants us to pray and for the people He wants us to pray, then we're going to get the results God wants us to have. So let's look at it, if you will. Who should we pray for? Well, first of all, those that are in leadership. They have a tremendous influence on other people, whether often those people can come to Christ or not. Look at the verses. It's found in 1 Timothy 2. It says this. Paul writing to Timothy. He says, therefore I exhort, first of all, that prayers be made for all men. Now notice the bold words. For kings and all who are in authority. So the kings would be your political leaders. And all who are in authority would be anyone that has people under them. All who are in authority, which could be teachers, could be uh, people in the business and professional community, could be people in the sports business, however it might be. Kings, political, social would be anybody who's in authority. Now we pray for them, watch this now that we who are Christians may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Now those are two words that mean that we would have tranquility on the outside, so we're not all agitated, and we'll have peace within us or stability. So we're praying for those in authority because they often can promote or provide peace when the world is all disrupted. Because those are the ones that often will disrupt peace because they're in a position of control or influence. So we pray for them. But go back to the verse. It says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men. Now ladies, it's not just masculine, it's all people. God desires all people, which would be kings and all who are in authority to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So in the margin of your notes, you might want to then make a list who are in position of authority and influence that we need to pray for, that they would come to faith in Christ, watch this, as the passage says, and they would have a full experiential knowledge of the truth, and we'll say it an in intimacy with God. For those are the kind of leaders that will provide an environment where there will be far more peace externally and internally. So you might choose the people here on our island. We're coming up to some elections. Nationally, you could pray because it's our world. You could talk about the teachers and the principals and administrators in the school. You could talk about the people that are influencing you in your career in the military. You could pray for the people that are out there. They're in the business and professional community. Anyone who is in a position of influence over you, you can begin to pray for them by name that they would come to faith in Christ and to grow on to become a fully obedient worshiper of the Lord. So we pray for leaders. Let's, let's see who else we pray for. We're to pray for those who are specifically lost and who do not know the Lord. Let's go back to the same passage. It says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that prayers be made for all men. Now, not just those in authority, but for all people. Skip down to the bold. It says, God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So I I lay before you a wonderful challenge that's easy to do. The easy part is you don't have to confront anybody head on. The easy part is you don't have to hand out a tract in this little passage part. All you need to do is commit yourself to consistent, heartfelt prayer from a clean heart close to the Lord for all people that don't know Christ as Savior. Now, where would you begin for that? Let me give you some areas and then you fill in the names. One area could be a family member. Again, who in your family that you know that might have heard the gospel over and over again and maybe even from your lips that still refuse to go public and trust Christ as your Savior? All right, you got your family. Then how about those that would be your friends? These would be people, not your your, your, your family, but people that you kind of hang with, people that you call up on the phone, people that you do things, your peers it might be. And you kids know what I'm talking about. Are you absolutely certain that they have trusted Christ as their personal savior? Are you absolutely sure? Pray for them. And then you might want to talk about those people you work with. You could talk about your neighbors. Those people that are in your sphere of influence that you know already, that you already have some bit of a relationship with, you begin to pray for them. Most of you know the story of my dad. Those of you that don't. My dad was an unsaved man. He didn't go to church. He grew up in a home that hated religion. And so he reared his kids with no church, no prayer, no nothing, no God. Good thing about dad, he never was anti-God. Bad thing about dad, he was non-God. So we were reared in a non-God home. The only bit I knew about Christ is whatever I would see on television. You can imagine if I was young today what I'd hear. A little nativity scene that my mom got somewhere and put up, which was the only visible sign of Christ at Christmas. And my dad reminded me over and over again, Stan, good boys go to heaven, bad boys go to hell. Stan, you're bad, you're going to hell. And so I lived my life fearing of going to hell, trying to be good. All of that message is wrong according to the Bible. As good as it was to try to keep me clean, it would not get me into heaven. I remember the night that Carol led me to Christ I was so excited about that, I ran home, drove home, late at night, threw open the door. My dad was waiting up for me, which was very unusual for a man in construction to wait up for a son at 1.30 in the morning. He was livid that I came home so late. But I was so excited, not that I came home late, but that I knew I was going to heaven. And the first thing I said to dad is, Dad, guess what? I'm going to heaven, and you're going to hell. You know, And I did that. It was wrong. But I was so excited. The good news was, after many years of prayer... My dad finally came to faith. My mom came to faith. My sister-in-law sat in this area of our sanctuary here in this building with my brother. Lost. She trusted Christ as her Savior. So don't think that your family is a lost cause. Much prayer, much power in God's timing. So yes, get out the gospel. But maybe for you the first step is, is to fertilize the ground. Break up those hard hearts by prayer. So you pray for leaders, you pray for the lost, you make the list, you get on your knees and celebrate the victory when it happens. But also, to pray for those who can labor to let the whole world know. This verse is not found in 1 Timothy, it's found in Luke 10, and it says, Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, and folks, it is. But the laborers are few, and they are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Would you circle the phrase, send out laborers? How do we do that? We pray for them. Now, the Lord is not on the earth praying for these people any longer, but He has commissioned us to be on this earth praying for others. And since He did it on the earth and we're a partaker of His divine nature, then the same prayer, the heartfelt prayer, the passionate prayer for those To not only come to know Christ, but those who are saved can still beat within our chest because it's Christ's heart beating after those people. So we need to pray for others. Number two, we need to pray with a personal concern for others. Now, I can throw up names, and a lot of you can do the same thing. And I, I think we might call that praying. We're talking to God. We're dropping a name there. But it might be wise for us for just a moment to think about what it's like to be lost again. Confused, frustrated, empty, searching, And for a moment, have that passion for those lost people that we're praying for. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.14. It says, For the love of Christ compels us. Christ died for all. That those who live, that you and me, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So how do I pray for them? I pray with them with the love of Christ. Now look up here, folks, for a second. Some of the folks that I've asked you to think about, that you've tried to give the gospel to, and you have failed because they have rejected you, the natural response is to feel hurt, betrayed, even a little bit angry, of course embarrassed, and especially if they keep the pot boiling by mocking you because earlier on you did give them the gospel. So it's easy to have a moment there of, I don't want any part of this right here. Well, here's what God does not ask us to do. I hope you can hear this. I used to think, When I was an early Christian and I was now reminded of my responsibility to share the gospel, that I needed to love the lost world. And so I tried to work up that that man-made love for them because I I needed to love them. And then I felt guilty if I didn't love them enough until I learned something. I learned that it's not my love for them because I will never love them fully unconditionally because I can't in myself because I'm wrapped in flesh. But now if I remember that Christ loved the world, Christ died and rose again and it's his compassion for the lost world, then what I do is I don't try to say I love the world because of what they've done. For me, I love the world because I should love them. What I do now is I focus on Christ. I remember who he is. I remember why he did what he did. I remember what he did and I remember that Christ is still in me, the hope of glory, and he loves them and he demonstrated that love. So now within me now, I can have that same compassionate passion for those lost people as I allow His love to be loved out through me to those other people. So for just a moment, no matter what those people did to you, they really are doing it to Christ and His message. And He did it to Christ and His message and Christ still died for them, still rose again, still offers them eternal life. So because He still can do it, it's not I, it's Him. I can't, He can, therefore I will. And it's so beautiful to see that. And that's what this whole passage is talking about. I can do it because He is in me.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.